0: Heavenly Father, God, may that be our prayer this morning. Your presence is greater than anything we seek. Your your presence is greater than anything we know. Your presence is greater than anything we could ever hope for. So, Father, this morning, we just beg of you. Your word promises where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. Father, we beg of you to be in our presence this morning. Not for our glory, but for yours. Not that our name would be known, but that your name would be known. Father, not because, not because we deserve it. But because God, to come in and out of this room and not see you would be a travesty. So, Father, this morning, this morning, crack open the sky. Step down into our little world. Manifest yourself in this place. And, Father, if that means like the prophet Isaiah, we cry out, Woe am I, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory of the King, the Lord Almighty. Then God ruin us today. Because father only in repentance. Only when we see us see ourselves in light of your glory can we be transformed by the beauty of your gospel. That a God so good, a God so loving, a God so mighty, a God so holy. doesn't need me, but you want me. Father, let that simple truth, let the gospel change us, make us into something entirely different, entirely new. In Christ's name we pray, amen you may be seated well I want to say thank you to Pastor Rick for the introduction Um, no pressure now and and really uh, man Chris Stephanie Brenna the band everybody wow you guys did it let's give it up for them one more time man I don't know I don't know how they do it they're phenomenal they're phenomenal hey if you got your Bibles with you this morning I'm gonna ask you to open up to the book of first Samuel uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 1. If you are new to studying in Scripture, uh, probably the easiest thing to do is just open to the beginning. You'll see Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. There'll be a few strange names. Uh, you'll find Judges. That's kind of a big book. And then there's a little book. And then there's 1 Samuel. If you find, like, Esther and Psalms and all that, you've gone too far. Uh, but 1 Samuel chapter 1 is where we're going to be starting. Now, this morning, as as, uh, as I was getting ready, I was kind of walking around. I was praying. And and uh, and I was walking by some of the preschool rooms downstairs. And, and I was walking by one of the older rooms. And I could hear him talking about the Ten Commandments with a bunch of little kids, and, uh, and, and they had just gotten to, to the honor your mother and father commandment, so I, I, I just kind of leaned in. I didn't want to interfere interrupt them. I just kind of got by the door to listen, and I could hear the teacher explaining what it is to honor your father and mother, and one of the little girls in the room, it sounded like, uh, just kind of sheepishly uh, asked the question, well, does the Bible have anything to say about how we should treat our little brothers, and then I heard another voice in the room shout out, say, thou shalt not kill. And so rest assured that they are they are teaching scripture to our little kids in the back. But hey, listen, uh, I tell that because you know we're we're all a little bit dysfunctional, right? I don't care if you're from the greatest family on the planet. Uh, I I personally think I have the best wife and some of the greatest kids on the entire world, and I will be the first to tell you that my family is just a wee bit dysfunctional. Now my wife may disagree with you, but I always say that we put the fun in dysfunctional. That's just the way we roll. It's the way our family goes. But this morning we're going to be looking at a family that just like yours and just like mine doesn't always get it right. And because they don't always get it right, it leads to some hurt, it leads to some stuff, and eventually it leads to some restoration. And this morning, I hope, and my prayer is that we will see today that Christ is greater, Christ is bigger, Christ is more worthy than anything else you could ever want, hope, or imagine. And to do that, we're going to look at the life of a young lady by the name of Hannah. So I'm going to begin reading from 1 Samuel. Chapter 1, verse 1. And if you haven't found it yet, just give up, because we're moving on. All right? Chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathium Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohim, the son of Elihu, the son of Tahu, uh, the son of Zuth. That's got to be a name, doesn't it? Zuth. Hey, come on over here, Zuth. It'll be good. Uh, Zuth, and he was an Ephraimite and he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other was Panera or Panana, whatever you want to call her. And Panera had children but Hannah had no children. Now, now pause right there because you might be thinking about your family and you might be wondering what my family looks like if this dude has two wives and I'm comparing them to us. Uh, no, that, that's not the case. I don't know anybody who does that. Um, there might be a couple guys in the room who are thinking that's a good idea no it's not alright just stop right there we'll, we'll see a little further w- along why that's a bad thing but check this out that was never God's intent and I feel like it's important for us to kind of pull back and talk about this for a second because man was created in God's image but so was women so was women, woman, so so were you, ladies. And, and and we were both created in God's image, but we were created differently. Amen? A- amen. And and but the thing is, we both reflect God's image, we both reflect his glory, his grace, his love, his mercy. That was what was intended. But there's something that happens when we come together in marriage. There's something that happens when God takes two and makes them one. And in that relationship, we are supposed to, it was created in such a way that we would clearly reflect the gospel in the way in which Which we relate to one another, in the way in which we come together, that we would be a picture of the love, the undying love, the everlasting love, the care, the the, the grace, and the forgiveness that exists between a relationship between God and man in the way that we relate to one another. And when in the Old Testament, this wasn't uncommon, but it wasn't God's intent. And when this happens, where you have a husband and two wives, it breaks down the picture entirely. It was not God's intent, but this is where we are, and this is the dysfunctional family that we're we're looking at. And, and so what we see here is that Hannah has no children, where Panana has many children. And, and that was a source of contention for the two of them. And here is why. Here is why. Um, in this culture, again, this is, this is just be aware of what culture we're talking about and where in which they lived. In this culture, a woman's worth was defined by her ability to have children. So it, 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 there, there was no job outside the home, there wasn't something else they brought to the table. A woman's worth was defined by her ability to have children, and it says a little later in the passage that God had closed Hannah's womb and she was unable to have kids. Now this was a, a, this was a sore spot for Hannah, this was a, a discouragement, this was a very difficult thing for her for a number of different reasons. First off, they lived in an agrarian society, which means everybody lived on a farm. So there, was, there were crops to be raised, there was a harvest to be brought in, there are animals to be cared for, and if you're familiar with farm life, uh, particularly in this day and age, uh, the more kids you have mean the more workers that you have available. Uh, you didn't go out and hire people. You had kids, and your kids worked the farm. They milked the cows. They tended the sheep. They brought in the crops. They, they did everything that you did because it was just kind of a family business kind of deal that they had going on, so when you don't have kids, all of a sudden, or you're unable to have kids, or your wife is unable to have kids, you put a ceiling, you limit the amount of wealth that you 're able to gather you limit what you 're able to do you cannot pro- progress beyond a certain point without having children so so there is a, a certain amount of economy built into this equation but not only that not only that what, children in for a woman in this in this time frame, again, we find this offensive, and, and I'm very sorry for this if this sounds cruel, but it, it was just the nature of culture back in this time period. Women were defined. They found their purpose in life. They found their meaning in life. They found their, they, 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 they gauged how, how capable they were, they, they, their, their, their meaning, their purpose. Everything about them was defined by their ability to have kids. And a woman who was unable to have kids was a woman who had no meaning, had no purpose, had no use. And this is where Hannah found herself. And then finally, uh, children back in this time frame were, were kind of like the social security of the ancient world. You know, when, when, when parents got old, when, when fathers would pass away, it was the children, particularly the sons, who would take care of the mother and the other, fam- the other family that remained, the mother, the grandmother, and all, all those people. And so, so without those things, Hannah found herself in a position with, with no purpose, uh, no meaning in life, nothing to do, and absolutely no future whatsoever. And not only that, but if we read on, uh, this family would go into Shiloh, the, the ancient world's uh, version of Jerusalem, where, where Hebrews would go to worship before Jerusalem was Jerusalem. Uh, they would go once a year. Verse 3, Now, this man used to go up year by year from this city to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Verse 4, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all of her sons and to all of her daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and even though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, see, this is an interesting little note because, like I said, a woman's worth was defined by her ability to have children. But that's not how Elkanah saw this. Elkanah, as awkward as he can be in some of these passages, Elkanah loved Hannah. I mean, he valued her beyond her ability to provide for him sons. And he evidences this, and, and I don't get it. Maybe this was a, a thing back then. I mean, I, 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 hey, honey, I love you. I'm going to buy you, you know, two Happy Meals today kind of thing. But he valued her But by, you know, he would provide portions for, for Penana and all of her family and all of her kids, but he would provide a double portion for Hannah just because he loved her. But see, the thing was, th- this brought no comfort To Hannah at all because Hannah her womb had been closed according to Scripture by God what do you do what do you think when when everything that you've dreamt about everything that you you value everything that you think brings value to your life is closed off to you by God have you ever been there have you ever felt that way? Have you ever Have you ever just looked up? Maybe, maybe, we wouldn't do it in church. We, we wouldn't do it in worship. We, we probably wouldn't do it in our small groups. As a matter of fact, we probably would only do it in kind of the quiet of our own home at night, just before we fall asleep, where you just want to raise your fist towards God and ask Him why, why, why do you keep this from me? Why Why did life end up this way? Well, that's where Hannah is. Check this out in verse. As we continue down in verse uh, verse six. It wasn't enough that she didn't have children. Her rival, verse verse 6, would provoke her grievously and irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year, particularly as they went up to the house of the Lord to worship, that Penina would provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. So what would happen is it's it's one thing that this is going on. Now it's another thing that, that the other wife, which by the way, guys, if you're not paying attention, this is a really good reason not to have two women at one time, just throwing that out there for you. That, that's free. But but the other wife would come and he would she would pick on Hannah. She she would she would, you know, oh man, Hannah, I know, I know there's all these dishes to be done, but i I'm so sorry, you know I've been up all day with the kids and running after. I know you don't know what that feels like, but I'm exhausted. So I'm going to go lie down. If you could just do the dishes, I know there's all this laundry to fold. I know we've got to get the offering. I know all this is going on, but I've got to take Johnny to baseball practice and Sally has dance and 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 maybe one day you'll know how exhausting and difficult that is. But right now, could you just handle this, this, and this for me? Every time she turned around, particularly when they went to worship, Panina would just would just would just poke would just. Pick, would just find that one little soft spot and just irritate Hannah as much as she could. And Hannah would look out and look and see that God has done this to me. God has closed my womb. God will not allow me to have kids. Why, oh why, God, would you do this to me? But the truth is, isn't that where most of us live? Uh, again, we, we don't talk about it. We, we don't act this way at church, but But, you know, some of us in the room, we were thinking, you know, we're a little older than we used to be. Uh, You know, we we get up in the morning, our knee hurts, you know, we can tell when it's going to rain because there's a weird thing that goes on in our arm. And, you know, we, we were thinking a few years ago that by the time we got to this point in life, there would be a little more. You know, it, by, by the time I got to this age, I thought I would have a little more money. By the time I got to this point in life, I thought I would have the full-time job. By the time I got to this point, I thought my career would be on track. But I thought, By the time I got here, I would own my own business, I would do my own thing, I, I would have people working for me. By the time I got to this age, I thought it was going to be different than what it is. And some of us in the room, we, we, it's not a career that's bothering us, or it's not money that's bothering us, it's family. You know, by, by the time I got here, I, I, you know, I, I thought I'd be married. I, I, never, I never planned to be 30 and single. That just wasn't in the cards. God, why, why won't you bring the right man? Why won't you bring the right girl? I never intended to end up this way. For some of us, it's not that we're single, it's that we're married. And, and, and we go home, and it's like, God, why, why is it that every time we go home, it's a fight? Why is it, I, you know, this was supposed to, she was supposed to complete me. I, I watched The Notebook 37 times, and he acts nothing like she did terrible movie. Don't watch that. But listen, I I expected this was going to be good, and it's not. I expected it was going to be this way, and it's that way. For some of us, it's our kids. Our kids break our hearts. You know, I expected an athlete. I got an academic. I expected somebody to grow up, and they never really did. I expected them to graduate. I, they, 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 They turned away from God. They turned away from this. I wanted wanted to see them go here, and they didn't go there. I never wanted them to move away, and now they're gone. Or maybe they've come back. (laughs) And for whatever reason, God, this just isn't working out the way I thought it would. I always expected I'd have this, and I don't. And whatever it is, that, whatever stick you use to define yourself, whatever stick it is you use to give yourself purpose, whatever direction, whatever your hope for the future is, it's just not shaping out the way you thought it would. And most of us, you know, we're religious. We're here on Sunday morning, and, and, and we wouldn't sit here and shake our finger at God and blame him, but in the quietness and the stillness of our own heart, way deep down where we don't like to talk about, that's what we do. Because God, if you really loved me, you would have. God if you really loved me he would have. God if you really loved me why wouldn't you? And then for some of us, you know, it's entirely different. This isn't me, but I'm sure there's some people out there who, you know, we've 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 climbed every hill. We've we've conquered every mountain. We did everything we thought we were going to do. We, we you know, we we can't complain at all because, you know, we got it all. And and, and so so we look out apostle Alive, and and you know, it still doesn't really add up. You know, the Wall Street Journal did a survey a few years ago of incredibly wealthy people. These are, these are not like a little bit wealthy. These are like wealthy, wealthy people. These are people who have more money than I will ever see in my life. Uh, they make like $50,000. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> these, these are incredibly wealthy people. And this is, this is what they found. Check this out. This is a quote from the Wall Street Journal uh, from their survey on wealth. Uh, the respondents, they say, turn out to be a generally dissatisfied lot, whose money has contributed to deep anxieties involving love, work, and family. Indeed, they are frequently dissatisfied, even when their sizable fortunes, most of them still consider, do not consider themselves to be financially secure. For that, they say, they would require on average one quarter more than what they currently possess. See, the truth is, even if you found true love, even if you got to the top of the ladder, even, even if you found yourself having everything that you ever desired, even if you had financial security, relational security, if you made the team, if she said yes to go to the prom, if you got all the right cars, all the right stuff, everything you ever dreamed of, at the end of the day, even the successful people in the world who don't want to sit there and shake their fist at God because they didn't get what they want, they still end up unfulfilled. We still end up feeling like something's missing, and what we find is that the ladder, the the wall that we leaned our ladder on, the, the ladder that we tried so hard to climb, we get up to the top and we realize it was leaning on the wrong wall. There was nothing that fulfilled, there was nothing that gave purpose, there was nothing that brought hope, there was nothing in us that could ultimately satisfy us. Some of us are going through that because, you know, we have put everything that we have into our kids. And now they're graduating, and now they're moving off, and now they're gone. Some of us, that's where we are because we we just squirrelled away money and squirrelled away money and squirrelled away money and squirrelled away money and squirrelled away money, and one bad day, one bad market, one bad decision, and it's all gone. Some of us we feel that way because we have put our entire lives, from the time we were 18. Until now, pouring into a career, pouring into a job, pouring into a company, trying to make something of ourselves. And one merger, one consolidation, one corporate move, and it's all gone. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter if we've succeeded or if we've not. It doesn't matter if life gave us everything that we ever wanted or if we did everything we could and found ourselves just not quite enough. The truth is, there is nothing, just as Hannah's found out, that can provide purpose. There is nothing that can provide meaning. There's nothing that can provide hope. Check this out. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why, why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not worth more to you than ten sons? Ladies, I want you to take heart here. I, I, I really do. Because, gentlemen, how many of us in here, we've had this same conversation with our wife? What's wrong, honey? What's going on? Why are, why are you upset? What's going on? Don't you want to tell me? Hey, am, are, aren't I enough? Is, is, you know, I'm here. I love you. Um, ladies, let me just tell you, in 4,000 years, men are still idiots. Amen? Right? We 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 just can't get it right. We've all had the same conversation. We all had the same thing. Hannah, the bottom has fallen out in life. She's got nothing. She feels like everything that she's leaned her life on to provide meaning and purpose and hope is gone. And Elkanah is sitting there saying, "But honey, why are you sad?" Yeah, we've been there. But check this out. That is such a weird translation. It's it, it it suits. It it, it it isn't wrong. But that word "sad" in the original Hebrew, it actually a better way to say it. A clear way to say it is, honey, why is your heart? Bad. There's something going on here that's that's much worse than just, you know, she's a little bit in the dump. She's a little depressed. She's tired of Panana picking on her. This is this is a deep, abiding depression. This is a this is a bitterness of soul. This is this is a resentment towards God. There is something about this entire situation that has Hannah's heart so tied up, so twisted up, so messed up, that this is what she goes to bed thinking about. This is what she wakes up with first thing on her mind: this is the thing that is just wrenching her heart. It's made her entire life angry and bitter and resentful. She can't even eat because this has just ripped her apart. But then something happens, and I cannot tell you what it is. I don't know what goes on, but there is a change between verse 8 and verse 9 that's palpable. You, 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 you can see it. You can sense it. You can feel it in the way that she moves. Check this out. Verse 9, after they had eaten and drunk a Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Pause. Now that just sounds like they they had dinner, they had drinks, and then Hannah got up and went about doing something. But that is such a weak understanding of what's really going on here. That word rose or arise in the original Hebrew actually means to get up with purpose, to arise and move in a direction, to get up and go somewhere. She had her heart set. She had her mind set. Something within her changed. Something within her turned. And at this moment, that turn begins to take motion. I have a dear friend, a a really good friend. He lives up in North Carolina, and this week, this week he is planning to propose to the love of his life. And so I was talking to him earlier, uh, a little earlier this week, and he was telling me about the plan. He's telling me what he's doing. He's He's got the ring. He's got the place. He's got the stuff. He's got people hidden in the bushes already waiting to take pictures. When he gets up on Monday, when he gets up on Monday, he's just not getting up and getting breakfast and going about his day. He has a plan. He has a thing. He has something he's going to accomplish, and nothing is going to keep him from that because that is his sole purpose. That is what Hannah wakes up like. That is what she does when she rises and she begins to move. She doesn't just get up and go. She gets up on purpose with one sole thing in her heart and one sole thing in her mind. Check this out what it is. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting at the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and Hannah was deeply depressed, distressed, excuse me, and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O oh Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Uh, hold on. How is that a change? How, how is that any different from, you know, the past eight verses? You know, she wants a son. She wants a son. She wants a son. She wants a son. She. she it, it seems like it's just the same thing until until you read the next part. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall ever touch his head. Now, to you and to me, that may sound like just a just just kind of an off the wall. You know, God, if if, if you let me, if, God, if you would just let me win the Powerball. God, if you would give me $200 million, I'll pay off all the church's debt. I promise I'll do it. Now, I'm not saying you should go play the Powerball. You really shouldn't. But if you happen to find a ticket and win, I don't think the church would turn you down. Could be wrong. But listen, that's that's not the kind of prayer that Hannah's praying here. That's not that's not what she's saying. This isn't some flippant, off the wall promise. God, if you'll do this, I'll do this. God, if you, if you if you'll give me if you'll make me wealthy, I'll I'll give money to the church. If you'll give me this, and I'll do this for you. This, this isn't some flippant thing. This is a very specific promise. I will give him back to you, and no razor shall ever touch his head. This is this is something that's known in the Old Testament as the, a vow of a Nazarene. She's 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 offering God, if you would give me a son, I will give him back so that all the days of his life he will serve you. Now, to you and to me, that may sound like just a kid that doesn't get a haircut, but it's not. What what it is, it's, it's a child who's given over to the service of the Lord. He won't be raised by Hannah. As soon as he's weaned, as soon as he's old enough, he will be moved from her home to the temple, from her home to Shiloh. He will be raised by the priests who live there. No razor shall touch his head. There are certain diet things and certain dietary restrictions that he, he won't eat certain things, he won't drink certain things. He'll become a servant of the Most High God all the days of his life. He'll never work at the family farm. He'll never she'll never get to see him grow up. She won't get to teach him how to ride a bicycle. She won't be there for his first steps. She won't be there when he first runs and plays. She won't be there to see him do all the things that mothers want to see sons do. He will not be there to provide for her in her old age. What Hannah is saying here is, God, if you will just give me a son, you take him. If you will bless me with this, I will give it back to you. And check this out. The blessings God's given you were never intended to be only for you. Your children were not meant for your enjoyment, They were not meant for you to to keep and for you to huddle close and keep them safe. They were given to you so that like arrows in the hand of a warrior, you may pull them back in a bow and shoot them towards God's purpose. The wealth that you have was never given to you so that you would simply enjoy life and not have to worry about stuff. God gave you wealth. God gave you the wealth that you have, whether it be great or whether it be little, so that through you, you might be a blessing. The church would be a blessing to the community and the rest of the world. God did not give you a position. God did not give you a, p- a place of influence. Students, God didn't give you your circle of influence, your group of friends. He didn't put you on the team so that everybody would think you're awesome. He didn't put you on the uh, in the band so that everybody could hear you play. He didn't put you in the office so that everybody would look to you and think, wow, he really knows what he's doing. God puts you where he puts you, sovereignly, by his grace, so that through your influence, your example, and by your speaking the gospel, people's eternity would be changed. God has blessed you so that you may be a blessing to others. And what Hannah is asking here, she's saying, God, God, if you will give this to me, I will give him back to you. How do you go, how do you go from a cold, bitter, broken heart to this? How do you make that transition? It's relatively simple. You cease finding your purpose. You cease finding your meaning. You cease finding your hope in your thing. And you begin to find who you are. You begin to find your purpose. And you begin to find your hope in Christ. Let me turn with me to chapter 2, if you would. The story continues, and Hannah goes home, and not immediately, but in in due time, Scripture says she conceives and has a son. And then after she's weaned that son, which would be about three years old in this culture, uh, she takes him back to Shiloh. And she leaves him there with Eli the priest. And I want you to read the song that she sings, the prayer that she prays, depending on what translation of Scripture you have, it'll call it a song or a prayer. And this is what she cries out. She says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted to the Lord. My mouth decries my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no, there is no rock like our God. There is no no more very no more so very proudly. Not let arrogance come from one come from your mouth, for the Lord God. Is, for the Lord our God is of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, the feeble bind on the strength, and those who were who, who full hired themselves out for bread. Those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has, has borne seven, and she has many children as, as the forlorn. But she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor the rich. He brings low as he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the princes and to inherit the scene of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Check this out. She doesn't sing this song when she conceives. She doesn't sing this song when she gives birth. She sings this song as she is dropping her only child off for the very last time to walk away and never see him again. Hannah has come to a place where the treasure that she has found in earth, the treasure that she has found in her life, the thing that brings her meaning, purpose, and hope is not a child it's not a relationship it's not a career it's not a financial sum of money it is nothing but god himself so what do we do church what do we do when we find ourselves in a place where we're hurt where we're broken where our hearts are crying out because knife just did not turn out the way that we thought it would Maybe we captured the moon, maybe we lost it all, but at the end of the day, we find no meaning, we find no purpose, we find no hope. Listen, it can be a discouraging moment. It can be a moment full of hurt. It can be a moment full of bitterness. But just as bitterness, just as brokenness brings bitterness, just as brokenness brings fear, Brokenness also brings humility. And with humility can come repentance. And with repentance can comes transformation. Listen, God never intended for your hope. God never intended for your purpose. God never intended for you to be defined by what you do, by where you work, by whether you made the team, by whether she said yes, by whether she said no. God never intended for you to be defined by what you do, what you accomplish, and how far in life you get. God intended for you to be defined by solely by His grace. The truth of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is simply this. God wants to take your brokenness, and in Christ Jesus, he wants to make you whole. God wants to take your hurt, and in Christ Jesus, he wants to bring you joy. God wants to take your fear, and in Christ Jesus, he wants to give you peace. God wants to take every broken mess that exists in this room, and even in downtown Orlando today, God wants to take the people who don't think like us, who don't act like us, who don't look like us, who don't believe like us. God is desperately desiring to see their hearts, to see their lives, transformed by the good news that the God of heaven, the God of earth, Jesus Christ, his only son, loves them just where they are. And he loves us just as we are. And if we will simply take our hope off of whatever we've placed it on and lean hard into him, he will change not just your heart, not just your eternity, but your entire life. Don't read this story and think, well, if I, just, if I just love God enough, if I just love Jesus enough, if I just valued him enough, he's going to give me, just like Hannah got a son, he's going to give me everything he needs. No, 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 no. The lesson here is not that God will give you what you want. What the lesson here is that you will find when you treasure God, he is all that you want. And no matter where you go, and no matter what you do, no matter what you gain, no matter what you lose, we, like the Apostle Paul, will say that all that I've garnished, all that I've gained, all that I possess, all that I've ever had, I see as rubbish compared to this one thing of knowing Christ and Him crucified and seeking after the thing that He grabbed hold of me for. So here's my question for us, church. Here's my question for us this morning. What is it in life that you value? What is it in life that you treasure? In that quiet moment when everyone else is gone, and it's just you lying in bed, staring at the ceiling before your eyes shut for that last time, what goes through your head? What's that thing that your heart longs for? Is it peace in your marriage? Is it security in your finances? Is it advancement in your career? Is it that you wouldn't be lonely anymore? This morning, I want to invite you to take whatever that thing that you hold dear is. I want to invite you to come to God's altar and lay that down in order that you may grab hold with both hands to the love, the acceptance, the grace, and the purpose found in Christ Jesus. Because there is nothing that will fulfill you. There is nothing that will satisfy your heart. There is nothing that can bring purpose to your life that is big enough, that is good enough, that is satisfying enough, but Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I don't have all the answers. In fact, Father, sometimes I feel like I have more questions than anything else. But Jesus, this morning, I know this one thing. You are better. Your presence is better than the air we breathe. Your presence is greater than the treasure we seek. Your presence, your presence. Is worth more than a thousand lifetimes of luxury, ease, and grace. So, Father, this morning we thank you for the disappointment of life. We thank you for the suffering. God, we thank you for the hurt because, in some small way, maybe it shakes our hand loose from those things that we so desperately try to hold on to so that we might hold on to you. This morning, I'm going to invite us to stand. The band's going to play in just a second. This morning, some of us, we need to come to the altar and we need to get alone with God and we need to leave something here that we have treasured more greatly than we've treasured Him. And for some of us this morning, what we need is we need to exchange for the very first time our life, our brokenness, our hurt for Christ's love. There's a God in heaven who knows your name. He knows everything you've done wrong. He knows everything you've done right. He's not offended by you or impressed by you. Scripture simply says this if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. So this morning if that's you for the very first time I'm going to invite you to come forward to find one of these men that we have at the front who will pray with you who will love you who want to connect you with a life that God has for you. Heavenly Father as we stand as we sing God I pray that you would be free in this place God that you would change us from the inside out. Lord, that we would be different because we saw you. my ear blind me I Heavenly Father, we thank you that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we cannot outrun your grace, we cannot outrun your love, we cannot outrun your presence. God, today, may we be different because we've been in your presence this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.